0: Welcome to Campfire Stories with your co-hosts, Salesforce MVP, Stacy Cogswell, and public speaker Justice Sikakani Sr., a podcast for sharing stories of Salesforce Trailblazers.
1: On this next episode, Stacy and I are joining Eric Dreshfield, the one and Yay. only father of Midwest Dreaming. Eric, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello, Justice and Stacy. Thanks for having me on.
2: Howdy. so it Justice? This is, he's not just the uh, father of Midwest Dreamin, but really all the community events, right? Because Midwest Dreamin was the first. I would
1: say so. Yeah, I would well, say so. Technically,
0: no, it wasn't.
1: It, <gasps> little known
0: fact, yes. Snowforce was actually started earlier than Midwest Dreamin. Oh. And there was also an event in Florida a few years earlier than Midwest Dreamin' that lasted two to three years called Dreamforce to You Florida. So while a lot of people credit Midwest Dreamin' as being the first, it really wasn't. It was kind of really just the one that set the tone and the, the style, if you will, for all the other community led events now.
1: Well, interesting let me ask you eric i mean this is not new news to myself and stacy but you know our our podcast does, does attract new listeners and and fellow uh community and ohana members that may not know everybody in the community so for those that are listening tell us a little bit about how midwest dreaming came about what inspired it and and what it's grown to uh today and then maybe give us a uh a plug into what we can expect for for what the 2019 now 2018
0: 2019 coming 2019. up
1: 2019
0: sure so so here's the here's the quick and dirty story behind how Midwest Dream got started my my first year in Salesforce was 2009 I got on the platform in very late 2009 uh, Dreamforce 20, 2009 had already taken place by then so. 2010 would have been my first year to go to Dreamforce, And I, I heard about the event, wanted to go talked to my management team. And they said, you know, it's, um, it's our first year on the platform. Our developer needs to go. Our admin needs to go. Um, senior management all wants to go and we don't have the budget to send you. And I was like, really disappointed. I was like, Oh man, I can't afford to do it on my own. I mean, it was costly back then. It's, costly more so now even um, so this crazy idea popped into my head well why don't i just bring dream force to me um, i had been a user group leader for a little while by then and i had already met um, jackie Treviesso and joshua hoskins who were then both in florida and they had organized an event called Dreamforce to you florida that took place i think it was 2009 and 2010 so i got on the phone with them and said hey what did it take to do this event what um, what What I need, what do I need to watch out for? How do I promote something like that? How many people could I expect? And all that kind of stuff. And so I, I spent a lot of time with them and got some, some great tidbits of wisdom. Um, oh, there was another person in that group, Jennifer Phillips as well. Uh, she now works for Salesforce. Um, she was one of the team members helping organize that thing back then. Um, but basically, This crazy, what I jokingly call a stupid idea to bring an event like Dreamforce to me locally is the whole reason Midwest Dreaming got started. Um, I I decided I was going to do this. I found a hotel in Louisville, Kentucky that was willing to work with me um, with no money down uh, and just basically like a business plan of of how I thought I could get money from sponsors, how often I figured I could make a payment to them, how much it was going to cost and all that stuff. Um, and they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll give you a, a chance. Um, and so they did. And things seemed to work okay. I got sponsorship dollars in. Um, and the event turned out to be what I would call a success. Had 100 people show up for a full day of Salesforce stuff in Louisville, nice. Kentucky. Uh, I had an admin track and a developer track going on then. Mm -hmm. Uh, The developer track was actually a full-day training session on intro to force.com programming. And that was led by Joshua Burke, who many of you probably now realize is like the father of Trailhead. Um, he, He was the guy responsible for the whole Trailhead idea back before Trailhead even became a thing. Uh, but but I reached out to him. He I don't was, think I
1: know who that is. Does he work closely with Chris and those guys? He, I think he's Chris Thornton.
0: I can't. I, he's. I can't honestly say if he works for Salesforce okay. still or not. I think he does. Um, back then, he was working for a smaller consulting company that I think ended up getting bought by Aperio at some point in time. Um, but but I knew he was really strong in Force.com development and. And, and things like that. So I just kind of said, hey, would you be willing to help me with this? And he said, sure. Um, there were probably 20 or 25 people that signed up for the, the developer side of, of the first Midwest Dreamin, which took place in May of 2011. And then the other roughly 70 or 75 people sat through the admin track uh, of sessions. Most of them were put on by the sponsors we had a few that were put on by people from Salesforce, or by people in the community, uh, and then we also had a small exhibit hall, kind of like the Cloud Expo you see at Dreamforce, that had the handful of sponsors in it. But um, it was mm-hmm. it was a fun event. Um, I did quickly learn though that running an event by yourself is totally the wrong way to be able to take advantage of all the knowledge sharing that's going on. So <laughs> right. when I resurrected Midwest Freeman in, in 2014 and brought it back to life and brought it to Chicago, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So I started reaching out to all the user group leaders in the Midwest uh, that I was familiar with by then and said, hey, I want to do this thing. Who wants in? Here's my vision. And several hands popped up and said, I'll help. I'll help. I'll do this. Let's do this. And And so we got this this committee together. There were probably 10 to 12 of us back then uh, organizing What would become the second midwest reman in in the first time in chicago in 2014 Um, and that event had 500 people show uh, as attendees so going from 100 in 2010 or sorry 2011 to 500 in 2014 uh pretty phenomenal growth of course the platform itself and the ecosystem around salesforce really grew quite a bit during that same time period But we've been in Chicago every year since, and we've seen as many as 800 people show up one year, uh, probably averaging 725 to 750, I'd say, over all the years we've been in Chicago so far. So really good crowds. Um, It's it's Mm -hmm. been a lot more fun for me because I've got people helping me with it. Uh, So my focus is more specialized on what I do for the organization uh, and each of us on the team. Uh, has a very defined focus as to what we do for the the whole effort. And there's probably there's six or seven of us now on the core team that take care of all the the planning that goes into it and the leading up to the event. and Then we get an army of volunteers to help us the day of the event to direct traffic and help us with the registration lines and make sure everybody's Wi-Fi is working right for speakers and all that stuff. Um, So it's truly a community-led event. It's all volunteer help, doing everything, including our website and, and all that stuff. So it's a labor of love. That's awesome,
2: <laughs> That's awesome. And I will always think very fondly of Midwest Dreaming, as it was for me and Justice, both our first chance to speak in front of the Salesforce community. So actually, 2016 was... Uh, we were both first-time speakers then, and then have gone on now to, both of us have also now spoken at um, Dreamforce and other community events, but it all started with your Midwest Dreamin'. Yeah, I
0: knew that about Justice, but I don't think I remembered that about you, Stacy. so that's pretty awesome. I, I know we've had a few other first-timers mm-hmm. uh, in the speaking world start at Midwest Dreamin' who've gone on to Dreamin' events, other Dreamin' events, or Dreamforce, which is fantastic. I mean, I like. It's kind of like watching kids grow up. I, I like seeing seeing people who start their their speaking careers, if you will, at Midwest Raymond and and watch them as they <laughs> they progress into other events.
2: Yeah, I love it. Um, Dale Ziegler was my session owner, and so he as, as
1: was he for me. Was he for
2: you? Oh, yeah. yeah, he's I fantastic. Him a lot of kudos. Yeah, yeah, and I will never forget doing my run through with him uh, just on the phone. And um, like I'm speaking on content that I know. And so I felt confident. And yet at the same time, there was this fear, the um, imposter syndrome, like in the back of my head. And I said to him, Dale, what if somebody stands up and says, that's not right? And he he laughed at me, of course, and um, and was you know very supportive and encouraging. And he's like, "This is the Salesforce Ohana. Like, we don't do that." He's like, "No, if you're going to stand up and applaud, that you're there." And uh, he's like, "And it's okay if you get a question you don't know the answer. It's okay." To you know, take that conversation offline, but uh, but I remember how nervous I was, and he was great at putting me at ease. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny because much like yourself, Stacy, I I don't know what I was thinking, but to your point, first time experience and the whole imposter syndrome was occurring for me as well. I'm in my hotel room the morning before my session. And at this point, I had convinced myself that I needed to know word for word my entire 40-minute presentation. Like I had to have it memorized, right, however many words I was. And every time I would get stuck after like 15 or 20 words because I didn't recite it exactly the way I had written it down or whatever. But anyways, when I had talked with Dale that morning, he he gave me very similar feedback. And he said, Justice, you were selected to speak because you have a demonstrated subject matter expertise, people just want to hear about your experience. You don't need to worry too much about the delivery and the approach. And if, if you're going to get called out and to your point, Stacey, he said, this is the Ohana. Like we're here to just learn from what the community can share with the community. Yeah. So kudos Eric for, for bringing in the right individuals because there is a, definitely an element around self-esteem and feeling comfortable, yeah, and, and, and you to know when, To step on the stage.
0: We we changed how we selected speakers for Midwest Dreamin'. Um, I think it was 2015 when we changed it, or possibly 2016. I'd have to I'd have to go digging through emails to find the conversation where this with this happened. But early early in the Midwest Dreamin' life cycle, we we pretty much gave MVPs a free pass to speak. If they submitted a session, it was accepted just because of their status as an MVP. Um, but we got some feedback on a couple of them that was not very pleasant. Uh, the, the feedback was things like this particular individual didn't seem like they prepared very well. They, they didn't feel, it didn't sound like they were comfortable speaking about their topic. Uh, and it seemed like they, that the session was not highly rated. So we, I ended up with a conversation from with Mary Scotten, and she said, "How are you selecting your speakers for Midwest Dreamin'?" And so I, I explained that that we gave the, the the buy, if you will, to MVPs, and then the the whole Midwest Dreamin' team basically reviewed all the submissions and decided which ones we felt were best. Uh, at that point in time, we knew who was submitting, we knew what their qualifications were. Uh, and we knew their session descriptions. And Mary said, do it blind. She said, the people that are based, that are selecting your, your content, all they should see is the title and the description of the session and nothing more. Don't tell them who it is. Don't let them know if they've ever spoken at an event before. Don't let them know if they're an MVP or, or who they work for or any of that stuff. Just give them the title and the description of the session and let them vote. And. So that year we started doing that uh, and and did it that way. And, and what Mary said was going to happen, she said, what you're going to see is you're going to get first-time speakers. You're going to get a stronger representation of women and other minorities as speakers. And what really happened after we did that, that first year, was exactly what she predicted. Um, probably 80% of the speakers the prior year were white men and the other 20% were all the other minorities in the whole world. Um, And by selecting the the sessions blindly and simply doing a vote on them based on the title and the description, what we ended up with that following year was about 60-40 men versus women, and probably 30% were Non Caucasians, were non white people, um, as well. So so we got a lot more diversity in the speakership. Uh, we saw some first time speakers. Obviously, the two of you got got selected based on that same process. Um, so um, we've been doing it that way ever mm-hmm. since. And and I always kind of describe it now as it's like the voice. It's like the first round of the voice where the judges have their back to the people singing, and all they base their decision on is how are you sounding to me. Um, And so, I mean, it's like, it's
2: like a reality show, except this actually is reality. (laughs) We
0: we don't push a button and turn our chairs around. We give a ranking of one to five and the highest scores get selected to speak and that's it. Um, And so that's the only thing we do after that. Once we've gotten all the, the, all the fives, every, every session that gets unanimous fives automatically gets selected. The only thing we do to normalize it, if you will, is then we go look at, who the speakers are because we want to give as many people the opportunity to speak as possible we limit our speakers to one session or potentially two if they're a co-presenter with someone else on a session so in a couple of cases we've had to go back to a speaker and say guess what you had three sessions selected based on our blind draw but we really only want you to speak once tell us which one you'd prefer to speak which one do you want to present uh, and then we've gone down from the all fives to the all fives and one four, the next next highest score, and said, "Okay, guess what? You've been selected to speak," um, and and progress that way until we filled up all our slots, and it's worked really well for us. We've we've gotten high ratings on the vast majority of our speakers, and their sessions every year since, uh, and it was thanks to Mary Scotton. Basically telling us, you need to diversify your feed is kind of how she calls it when she's talking about Twitter. Uh, So we diversified our speakers uh, just simply by doing it blindly. Uh, And it's been great. It's been great Ever since. Yeah.
2: I like it. And that same Midwest Dream in 2016 for me is where I met Mary for the first time in person and actually was helping at a women in tech booth in the vendor area. And they were giving out a uh, little bingo cards for your yep. Twitter feed uh, to help people diversify their feed. And so that's when i you know, first started hearing about that. And then Peter Coffey spoke at the closing message on, uh, you know, how technology is great, but it can build these silos where you think that, um, because I like or click on the stories that I agree with, then you start to build, you know, due to the algorithms, you you build this worldview that everybody agrees with you and therefore you must be right. And so he was talking about diversifying your feed and, uh, it, and he put it in different words, but it, that weekend um, was really, really eye-opening for me on the importance of not just diversity, but intentional diversity. And the way that if you're not intentional in what you put in front of you and around you, then that is a form of discrimination. The unconscious bias, you know, it happens unless you're intentional to uh, not only block it, but reverse it.
0: That's that's a really good point. And, and that, that's probably... A way of looking at it that not many people really do, um but they should for sure
2: it's been interesting um you know, and when I first went through my Twitter feed and you know intentionally found people of you know different uh, not just race and gender but and and in more than two genders you know, but uh you know religious background sexual orientation um just all different types of cultures and uh, you know it, at first there were some things that I saw that were a little bit shocking and what people actually think like that you know but when you start to see issues as people and not just stats and issues, then it really does change the way that you approach the dialogue because you're, you' you want to talk to people more than you want to just prove that you're right. It takes the an- anonymity out of it, you know, makes it well more said. real. I like that. So lots of benefits come out of these community events, not just a chance to gather with the Ohana, <laughs> although that obviously is <laughs> a big true. part of it.
0: That's that's probably the thing I like the most um, about not just the community events, but Dreamforce too. Um, I mean, it, it's, I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about the people. Um, I mean, it's, it's, The thing that makes this whole ecosystem so unique is the people that are in it the things you can learn from talking to any of them Mm -hmm. regardless of whether they've been in the ecosystem for 15 years or 15 days Um, everybody has their own unique perspective and their own view upon how you can do things why you should do Mm -hmm. things what's a solution uh, to a certain challenge uh, and things like that and and that that's I mean, it's it's the greatest strength of this whole ecosystem, in my opinion. It's the people uh, and the things you can learn from them. And that's probably why I spend so much time trying to connect and have conversations with more and more people all the time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that struck me as you were telling your story, and Justice, I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing (laughs) the conversation here, uh, (laughs) but one thing Mm -hmm. that struck me is that you... Formed Midwest Dreamin, just because you had an idea and then you went and did it, and you were saying something similar. Even for Trailhead became it was just somebody had an idea. Wouldn't it be great if there was this kind of training platform? And then they acted on it. Our podcast exists because we had an idea. You know, I do Justice and I both do Salesforce Saturdays locally, and you know, there's so many. Things big and small that are happening all over the Salesforce ecosystem just because someone had an idea and then they acted on it. And it's just really cool. Like, you know, as Justice and I get to meet with so many different people around our virtual campfire and um, hear stories, it's just amazing to me the impact, the legacy, if you will, that can happen when someone takes action on yeah, an idea that, that's that so they Yeah, that's so true. Have. I mean,
0: if you think about it, even even bigger than the community types of activities, but companies get started that way. I mean, Salesforce, for example. Uh, Benioff had this idea. Let's end software is kind of how he started the whole thing. So he built this CRM application in the cloud um, because that was his idea. Um, and it's taken off Dramatically, um, I mean, and, and so it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 only an idea until you take action. I mean, and, and I've done some other things just simply based on a conversation that I had with somebody. Um, you may recall the the blog series I ran for a while on my personal blog site, where I said I'm the Kevin Bacon of the Salesforce ecosystem, and I put a new post out almost every week, just simply introducing someone in the ecosystem to the ecosystem. That whole thing started with a conversation that I had mm-hmm, with one particular mm-hmm. individual. Um, it was Lori Witzel. I'm sure you probably both know Lori. She and I were standing in line waiting to get into a session at Dreamforce one year. And she we were just chatting. And she said, you know, Eric, she said, every time I have a question about how to do something or who knows how to do something, or who knows the right people that I can ask questions to about a certain piece of the product or or something, she says, I go to you. I said, I always say, hey, Eric, who do you know that knows XYZ? And she said, you either know the person that has the right answer, or you know someone that knows that person. And Lori said, it's like you're Kevin Bacon. And my mind immediately went, oh, there's a blog series in that. And boom, that was the whole start of that blog series that I probably <laughs> ran for two and a half to three years with a almost a weekly post I still have a, a handful of people uh, lined up for me to try to re reorganize re get refine time uh, whatever to to start that up again that that want to get featured uh, and sooner or later I'm going to try to make that happen again uh, to kick that thing back up to life and, and get it going again
1: this is all great you you know I I loved sometimes. Look, I'm a very verbose person. There, there's no secret here. Um, but you know, Eric Eric has a lot of experience and and wisdom, and he likes to share that. So th- it's a very rare occasion where I'll be this quiet. I I just appreciate listening to Eric. I'll just be honest. Um. So I usually just let him do his thing, and I just listen. But no, Eric, you you've talked about a lot of things, and um, you know, I continue to be. You, you mentioned, you know, well piggybacking from Stacy, you know, the the concept of what can be built upon just from somebody simply having an idea. Um, and you guys started mentioning, you know, how Salesforce was founded. I think, you know, from now until the end of time, I think technology and solutions and, and, and tools will continue to be built upon or built out and created. But what I'm more fascinated by is specifically what Salesforce has done under their platform in creating the community that they've created right uh so you've mentioned some people that have that you've worked with in midwest streaming samantha safan somebody that helps you out within midwest streaming organization somebody that happens to be a right. close friend with stacy and i within the gift squad right and that was even a concept that came together just because of community and we all respectively do similar things within the ecosystem but what brings us together is more relationship driven um, and and I continue to appreciate that. So when I look at community-led conferences, such as Midwest Dreaming, I met Stacy there. I met A- Amy Opplinger there, who's the, 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 the catalyst for imposter syndrome-driven conversations. I met Stu and Ben, who are two individuals that lived in my backyard, essentially, who are Salesforce MVPs that I didn't know until Midwest Dreaming. Um, so I guess with all that said, my question to you, Eric, would be, when you go to a big conference like Dreamforce, or you go to a big conference or a community like conference like Florida Dreaming, or any of the other Dreaming conferences you've been to, what are your takeaways? I mean, you're always giving. What are your what what are your kind of takeaways for your own personal growth and? You know that that's a really
0: doing? interesting question, and and I suppose the answer that a lot of people are expecting me to give would be to learn something new about the platform, or to learn how to solve a specific problem that I'm having within the platform. However, (laughs) since my current role within the platform is really nothing more than an end user, that's not really what's going on for me. Um, uh, I'm going to go right back to where we were just talking about again, that that for me, I I think I, I go into events like that with with two things in mind obviously if i'm speaking my goal is to deliver a great session and have some good feedback and some interactions with the crowd that's there to see what i'm there to speak about but if i'm not speaking and i'm just there to enjoy the event my my focus becomes who do i know that's coming to this event that i want to talk to or who do i only know through the community or through twitter that i've never met in person before that i want to shake their hand and have a good conversation with face to face So right back to what I said earlier, for me, it's people. Um, I I enjoy making those connections and hearing other people's stories, uh, learning about how they got to where they are today in their career and and what they think is important for their future uh, and where they want to go with their next step and things like that. Um, And so one of the things I think that comes out of that for me is I I take on the role of a mentor for, for people. Um, I do that fairly often. I, I probably have a mentorship relationship right now with four or five different individuals that we spend a, an hour or a month on the phone, give or take a little. Um, sometimes I meet them in person if I'm at an event that they're at as well. Uh, but we just we just sit down, we just chat about the ecosystem, what's going on with our life, our family, our friends, I mean, our jobs, everything. Uh, it's, it's, everything's fair game. It's just an opportunity to... To, to have a great conversation with someone and try to offer some suggestions on, on how they can solve some of the problems that they're having with their own challenges and things like that. Um, so for me, I think my biggest takeaway from any of those events is, is that one-on-one time with somebody. Uh, it doesn't really even necessarily matter who, although every year for Dreamforce for the last four years, I think, I've created a Twitter list who I want, who's my must-meet at, Dreamforce 18, Dreamforce 17, Dreamforce 16, um, and most of the time I check off almost every single person on that list that I managed to meet uh, during that particular event. Um, so so I guess in a sense I'm goals-driven based on who <laughs> I want to meet uh, and try to make it happen. Um, but going, going back to your conversation, though, around the gift squad, one of the other things that people may not realize about the gift squad is – with the T-shirts that you all create and sell through, through what is it, Represent? Is that the right name of the company? Yeah. I say that. But what that is, that's raising money. That's a fundraiser to help what's education in STEM, I think, if I'm remembering it correctly. And there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes on in this ecosystem as well, where people are doing things, raising money for other organizations, raising money to help.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nick Charles one of one of our guests uh former guests he's doing a great yep. initiative to support Absolutely. Vets. eric he, you're he's a huge he's fan even of doing Nick. a
0: push up for every mm-hmm. dollar that he gets mm-hmm. gets donated to his charity his cause right, right. and he's matching he donations matching up to $2000 yeah, yeah. and
1: awesome. he just shared a video he he just shared a mm-hmm. video, 75 yep. push-ups from and, a combination, and, I think, and, of Eric Westfield. Uh, Nick was Charlie one of those Isaac. people that oh.
0: I chatted That's with on the fantastic. phone earlier today. Uh, one of those people that I just tend to have a routine conversation with uh, every once in a while just to, to stay up to date on what's going on with their life and, and things like that. And uh, So it's, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that the various methods and, and approaches people take to, to their own personal theory and, and the, the – causes that they support and how they want to get others involved with giving back okay and i think all that comes from benioff's whole one 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 model
1: really right right Right. it's culture so so eric i want to between stacy and i'm i usually the one that's kind of the loose cannon that goes left field randomly (laughs) uh and that could be a good or bad thing but let me just take this left field so first of all phenomenal response and i appreciate uh, I always love listening to you talk because it's always comes from a place of of candor, but you know, transparency, right, and honesty. Uh, so, thank you for sharing that with us. Now, bringing sure. this left field, I need to know: How does one get to ten thousand followers on Twitter? <laughs> uh,
0: well, let's just say it takes a little bit of time. Um, I think I've been on Twitter about six years now, um, and probably like a lot of people, I joined Twitter initially just to follow people and listen to what they had to say. Um, and then I discovered, oh, hey, I've got something to say about what they just said. So I tweet back at them and we start having a conversation. Um, I mean, I've, I've presented a session on personal branding uh, for quite a while now, going back almost two years probably. And one of the things that I, that I talk about in that particular session is put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to do something. Start a blog get on social media, have conversations with people. But, but thinking back way back to the conversation 30 minutes ago or so now where we were talking about first time speakers, Um, Dreamforce 2011 was my first year at Dreamforce. Um, Dreamforce 2013 was the first year I spoke at the event. So just two years later uh, and I I ended up speaking, I think three times that year Um, and the first session that i was supposed to be presenting at dreamforce was all around user groups and the benefits of joining one and why you should be active in a user group Um, and i was speaking with jackie trivia i think sarah deutsch was one of the co-presenters there were three or four or maybe five of us on this almost like a panel discussion uh session um i want to say lana saunders was probably one as well from san diego um but we were were waiting at the top at the beginning of the the hour uh, standing up on the stage as the room started filling uh, with people and my my gut was doing somersaults there were bullets of sweat on my forehead running down my face and i was terrified um no nobody mentored me and said you know the, the typical public speaking thing nobody said just just imagine everybody naked nobody said that to me although that probably wouldn't have helped any back then I probably would have had this funky little smirk on my face and still would have been terribly nervous <laughs> but I, I got up there and and we started the session and I started talking and as soon as I started talking and looked out on the crowd and recognized a few people that I knew it suddenly hit me that everybody that's sitting in the room came because they wanted to hear what I wanted to say so it was like the peanut butter and the jelly hitting each other on each side of the sandwich and suddenly becoming this great combination of, of of awesome stuff. And my body and my mind immediately went, oh, this is easy. I know what I wanted to talk about and these people want to hear me. So all of a sudden, it was like I was talking to you right now, like it was just a casual conversation. It didn't feel like I was standing in front of a room of 150 people anymore. It was like, oh, these are all my friends. These people are here because they wanted to hear what I wanted to say, and Mm -hmm. and life was great. Um, Now, on the other side of that coin, one of the things that I tell people when I'm trying to help them get over their fear of public speaking is no matter how well rehearsed you are, no matter how many times you've spoken in public… In my opinion, and you may you may both feel slightly different, but in my opinion, if you're not just a little bit nervous before you start speaking at an event, something's wrong. That that's kind of my feeling is there's gotta be that little twinge mm-hmm. of nervousness about the whole thing. Otherwise right. you're 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 doing something slightly wrong.
2: Right. It means that you care. Like you care enough to want it to go well.
0: And maybe that's it. Yeah. And and Justice back to your comment earlier around not reading your talk track but trying to memorize it and present it word for word and and you felt so bad that you missed a couple of words or you presented it slightly different each time you would rehearsed it i i personally feel like the sessions where the speakers don't read tra- a talk track and they just speak whatever comes to their mind obviously they want to follow bullet points and things like that but i think the ones that that feel more natural and more off the cuff uh, provide a better message and deliver a, a, a stronger, stronger story. Um, so I don't even. Yeah, no, Eric, I right. couldn't.
1: I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I by the time I was ready to present at Midwest Dreaming, Charlie Isaacs had seen me just seconds before because I was kind of pacing out back and forth right outside of the the, the room. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was nervous to the point of tears. I mean, I I, I have no reservations or concerns in 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 sharing that. Because I just I just was psyching myself out, right, and to this day, I still get extremely nervous, but to your point, the moment I start talking it it's as if I've been doing this my whole life, you know, but yeah. I do agree, I do agree yep. with that feedback
0: and it it certainly takes preparation I mean as a speaker to be able to deliver a decent message and deliver it in a manner that the attendees will be able to understand and enjoy um, and so there, there's certainly some, some prep work and some rehearsing that you need to do. Um, and each session, each topic, each activity, let's call it that, whether you're doing a keynote session like you've done before um, or facilitating a panel of, of experts like I've done before, those all have their own unique style and their own unique quirks to them, if you will, that you need to keep in mind as you're preparing to speak and to do your job for that particular session. Um and that's it's it's part of I think personally what makes delivering a message to people in some form of a session uh enjoyable to me, and probably that's why I submit ideas all over the place and speak at so many events and and things like that, just' cause it's it's fun and it helps me connect mm-hmm. to people more,
2: yeah, and it gave you the opportunity to even come to little o Wilmington, North Carolina speak at our user group meeting back yep. this summer and then we got to hang out for a little while which was nice. That was absolutely
0: um, a blast. I enjoyed that.
2: Yeah, I mean we sat there talking forever afterwards. And it was great to get to know you uh you know a little bit more um outside of just, you know, Twitter and Dreamforce and and so forth. So, um so let me ask you a question and I'm going to go back to uh this episode was originally supposed to be a pre-Dreamforce, um, it was maybe even some tips and tricks for people who were new to Dreamforce or, you know, the large conference, Obviously, that didn't happen. It is now mid-October. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for your patience as we locally dealt with the hurricane and, you know, losing the internet and power and homes and all that fun stuff.
1: But you guys did a lot of great work, those days, from what I recall, with local food shelters and whatnot. So kudos to you guys.
2: We tried to. It was, you know, going back to the whole people responding to an idea and great things coming from it. I've met with, uh, an organization. So my, my local church is, uh, just, uh, just about a mile, a little over a mile from my house. So, um, it was very easy for me to get to even whenever the w- roads weren't great. Um, but they were set up as a disaster relief distribution center. And so, um, uh, there was, uh, you know, like Convoy of Hope and, uh, you know, the Salvation Army and FEMA and like a lot of different uh, resource organizations were in touch with them and other places throughout the town and surrounding counties as these were centers. These are points from where distribution came. But one of the really cool organizations I learned about is called Mercy Chefs. And that was a, it was began as an idea somebody had in New Orleans following Katrina when the city was flooded for so long and food was just hard to come by and everybody's living off of their non-perishables and you're like I would do anything for a good hot meal and you know because you go well an extended amount of time with no power no there's no refrigeration you are not cooking anything warm it's just let me crack open this can of SpaghettiOs and eat it at room temperature you know
0: (laughs) it doesn't sound very fun for sure
2: Um, no no it's fun camping for a week but you don't want to do that for a long time (laughs) (laughs) but these chefs um, or one in particular had the idea of he's like I can do something with the stuff and make it good and so he started um just kind of like a food truck with just the stuff on hand and started serving the community there uh, in new Orleans. And, and it grew and become, became a thing. And so it's a whole nonprofit now. And they traveled to disaster areas, uh, not just hurricanes, but, you know, any type of natural disaster that happens and they were feeding things. Thousands of people, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for uh, for a little over a week, which was great. We served um, first responders, so nine one one operators, um, you know, fire. Uh, EMS, uh, hospital workers that were, you know, shut in, and the line crews that were trying to restore power, Um, but then also people and residents who were without power, and so it was just really cool to see these types of things that just came up, you know, great things coming out of disaster.
0: Yeah, that's a really phenomenal concept, and, and and it's amazing to me that I mean, you know, back to the whole conversation of something started with an idea. I mean, but that that's pretty amazing um, and and cool and a, and a really great thing that they can do that, and and it helps so many people. And and the fact that you mentioned um, getting those those custom meals, if you want to call them that, uh, to first responders and police and and mm-hmm. the people in the hospitals, um, those people. I mean, their their homes and their lives were affected just as much as everybody else, but they're still out there doing their jobs and trying to help everybody else get through it, and, and taking care of the ones who who were who needed medical attention and, and all that. I mean, so they're they're getting hit hard. I mean, they're they're trying to to save everybody else and make sure everybody else can survive, mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. about their own losses is, is probably secondary, and they may not have a home to go back to. In, in some cases, or they may wonder where their next meal is yeah. going to be or or things like that. So the fact that, that that particular organization was was paying attention to them and making sure they were taken care of is really great.
2: Yeah, there's all kinds of great stories that came out of the storm. Obviously, lots of devastation and, and you know, rebuilding that will go on for a long time. But uh you know, you can look at the sky and you can say, "Wow, look at all of the clouds," or you can look at the sky and say, "I see a little bit of blue trying to peek through." You know, and so so much of it's about perspective. And for every, um, you know, s- sad, unfortunate story, there were several that were, uh, you know, very positive and uplifting and and encouraging. Where it would be exactly like you're saying, someone spent, uh, you know, a a week. Not even going to their home, not even checking on their home, just helping, just responding, just taking care of the needs of others. And, um, you know, someone would catch wind of it. And so we'd send a crew over to go check their house and clear out the debris. And so that when they came home, I mean, we can't replace their, uh, you know, belongings, but at least the trees that had fallen are chopped up and removed. And, you know, I mean, just trying to do what we can to help one another in any way possible yeah
0: that's awesome
2: very cool yeah. cool so um so that we totally derailed the question <laughs> i was gonna ask actually was nothing related to the hurricane um and now that we got all deep and everything i was actually going to go back to and you were talking earlier about people and um and the fact that this was supposed to be a dream force in you know, a pre dream force uh Episode, but for me, I'm going to um, a community event in Florida. So not the same Florida event that there used to be. This is the first Florida Dreamin' is um, is in a week. And uh, so I'm heading down to Orlando for that and I'm super excited about it. But one thing that I'm you know, always trying to find the balance of, and so I would love to hear your opinion on, is there's so many people that I've met before that I've got friendships with that I maintain relationships with via the Trailblazer community and Twitter and Slack and whatnot. And, um, and so I'm so excited to see these people and hang out with them and enjoy them in person, But at the same time, there's so many new and great people that I want to meet that have been around forever. And at the same time, there's also new and amazing people that are just coming into the community that I want to get to know. So how do you balance the whole – how you spend your time when it comes to meeting people, when there's so many people? And they're all amazing.
0: (laughs) That's a really awesome question. And, And I'll give you my stock answer. Uh, first on how do you balance anything, uh, whether it's the work and family balance or the, the meeting old and meeting new people. And I guess by old, I don't mean age, uh, people you've known forever versus people you've only known through social and, and the community. Um, my my standard answer on how do I balance that is I give up sleep um, <laughs> so I can spend time with people. <laughs> um, and, and
2: but I like my sleep. And I know. And,
0: and it's, it's, only, it's only partially true. I mean, I, I do have my own limits uh, as far as that goes. But but that's definitely quite the challenge. I mean, because the, the people that you've known and interacted with personally for years and years, you want to foster those relationships and keep them going, which means you need to spend some time with them, um, although probably not as much simply because you've had the relationship built for so many years. The people that you haven't yet met in person, that you've only known through the Trailblazer community or through Twitter, um, those are, are potentially the ones that that almost want your time more than the other ones. Uh, they're they're newer to the ecosystem. They're looking to make their first ten or first twenty personal connections. They may be. A first-timer to Dreamforce or to a community-led event like Florida Dreaming that you're going to soon. Um, and so, I mean, so my mind would say to the the people I've known forever, hey, I'm supposed to talk to so-and-so right now. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you meet this person as well? Let's make it a conversation between the three of us where the two of us who've been around forever can share our wisdom with this person who's brand new to the ecosystem um, and, and make it make it more enjoyable for that particular individual because more than likely us old folks are going to learn something about the ecosystem from talking to this person who's only been in it for mm-hmm. a week or, or mm-hmm. two weeks or 10 days or, or whatever. Um, it's, it goes back to the conversation we had earlier about everybody's got their own unique perspective.
2: Um, and um, take advantage just of that. Justice, since I've monopolized the conversation, do you want to jump in and do our quick little wrap up then?
1: Eric, as usual, it's always a phenomenal opportunity just to chat with you uh, having an opportunity to do that now with Stacy mm-hmm. and, and just kind of bring full circle just for our listeners to kind of hear the impact of you know you know you being able to get into the ecosystem at a very early phase of the you know very early time of the ecosystem Stacy likes to make fun of me because I wasn't around before the whole trailhead era that's another <laughs> conversation but
2: I she, would never make she, she gives heart.
1: But you've been around since before that era, uh, Eric, and you you were able to find ways to say, "Hey, how can I make this more about community if the monetary means aren't there?" And fast forward to now, you know, obviously seeing uh, Stacy as a Salesforce MVP, myself with you know all the different things I'm doing with speaking and, and engaging in the communities, and a lot of that, you know was based on our own individual trajectory, but you can see kind of like you said, you know, kind of your kids growing up.
0: Yeah. So, um, so let me
1: stem from that self esteem from the, from Midwest dreaming speaking there.
0: Yeah. So, so let me derail this conversation one more time for a quick second, because because something you just said sparked a memory on, on something that happened at my very first dream force. So I was, it was 2011. Um, I had planned my flights, so I was leaving San Francisco the day after Dreamforce ended. Um, So shortly after the the conference itself actually ended, which I think was that year was a Thursday around noon, um, I I simply posted a message on back then what was called the Dreamforce app, what today we would call the Trailblazer community. Um, I I simply posted a message out there that said, hey, I'm in town till tomorrow morning. Uh, Just got done with Dreamforce, had a great time. I'm looking for somebody to join me for dinner tonight. Is anybody interested? Anybody still around? And about 10 minutes later, I get a message back from this person that says, I'm staying at a hotel near Union Square. My flight's not till 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Where do you want to meet for dinner? And it was somebody I did not meet at the conference at all. Uh, we, We picked a place. We met for dinner. We sat and talked over dinner for probably two and a half hours, um, and every year since that particular year, I try to spend at least five minutes with her at Dreamforce. Um, I've, I've actually had dinner with her at the exact same restaurant on another occasion at a different Dreamforce, just to kind of relive wow. the memory of of how I, I guess technically maybe she was like my first Salesforce community personal connection. Um, as as a result of Dreamforce so it was uh, this this conversation just made me think of that person and her name's Kelly Wood Uh, I think she works for internet creations she's kind of based in the Dallas area if my memory's correct Kelly if it's not I'm sorry
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome and Eric I don't know if you even remember but my first Dreamforce which was 2014 um, I had a similar experience where I saw a tweet and, uh, responded to it. And it was one of those, Hey, I'm at such and such place if anyone wants to meet up. And it happened to be the, um, the bar lounge area in the lobby of my hotel. And so I was headed that way anyway. And so I stopped and hung out and then that ended up moving over to the diner. And that's where (laughs) you and I met. Face to face for the Diner's first time. Diner, wasn't so. it? Yes, 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 it was. Yes, it that was. It was a good time. And we ate there right. again this year.
1: <laughs> okay, so you guys both know. After giving those uh, soliloquies, I have to now give mine. You guys know that, right? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, so, yes. yes. So I, uh, me being me, I have two actually. So my first uh, with Midwest dreaming. Very, you just sparked a memory, Eric. This is why this is even coming up. Um, me and Eric had a very similar experience Stacey. I don't know if I ever told you this, but he was in town because his daughter went to the same alma mater. So Eric and I actually met like down the street from where I was living at the time, downtown in the North Loop area, and just had a conversation about Midwest streaming. We had dinner. I mean, if Eric's ever back in town again, it'll probably be our spot, you know. And um, so there's some significance there. But the one I wanted to share specific to Eric Rushfield when I first met him in person um, but the one I wanted also to share was I'll never forget a Dreamforce. Mike Gearhold and Jillian Bruce emailed me on the podcast cause I was going to be a speaker in 2016. So they interviewed everybody on the admin track and they basically said, who would you want to meet while at Dreamforce?" was was one of their questions before the lightning round. And I kind of threw everybody off, especially since if you know me, you would think my answer would be somebody like Mark Benioff or Parker Harris or something like that. I said, Chris Duarte. And because for me, at the time, my career was uh, evolving and, and, and expanding so quickly, and a lot of it was attributed to Trailhead. So I wanted to basically meet this lady that was kind of, she had her own Trailhead day on Twitter where people would all congratulate her and recognize her. And, you know, she I, I had just had a good impression of her. So I am with now Ashima Segal Nonprofit Space. I Dream for us, her and I are just walking, just having a conversation from a session. And she says, I actually have to go meet with somebody at the headquarters in Rincon. Does that sound right? Over by the Embarcadero. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she goes over there to meet with Karen Jameson. Yeah. Yep. Karen Jameson. Yep. Yep. And I end up meeting Chris Duarte because I was with Ashima. And then in addition to that, I met Parker Very here. Cool. Phenomenal. That's nice. Yeah. Yep, we could go
0: on and on so, about these memories, couldn't we?
1: We really could. So, okay, so just you know, just wrapping up here, Eric. You know, you're greatly respected in the community by many. Uh, I, I continue. Stacy and I both appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Um, you know, it, you know, if there's anything we can continue to do in helping and supporting you, maybe you can share with us and our listeners what your Twitter handles are. And by handles, I mean plural, because <laughs> you manage like 15 Twitter handles. <laughs> uh, so that people can connect with you and follow you and learn more about you uh, because, you know, you are kind of a godfather here. All right. So maybe share with us So, with Twitter, So my personal Twitter
0: handle, Twitter handle is just Eric Dresh. So my first name and the first five letters of my last name, all kind of thrown together as one word. Um, I have a separate Twitter handle for Midwest Dreamin, and that is Midwest underscore Dreamin, no G on the end because dream and events don't have a G. Um, Then I also have a Twitter handle for the user group that I run uh, here in Southern Indiana, a community group. I should use the right terminology now. Um, It's sfdcug underscore s Indiana uh, for that one. Uh, That one doesn't get a whole lot of activity except for when I'm hosting meetings. And then the other Twitter handle that I frequent once in a while, mostly around Dreamforce, has to do with my newbie breakfast that I run every year at Dreamforce that I've done since 2012, and that is DF underscore bacon underscore b f a s t, uh, the Dreamforce Bacon Breakfast, as I jokingly call it. Uh, those are the the primary no, accounts so, that I do any um,
1: tweeting from. Stacy, maybe you want to share the name of the the, the podcast and we can
2: uh, oh yes 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 because as you're uh, navigating all over twitter following all of the eric dreshfield handles make sure that you are following campfire stories which it, on twitter is at sf campfire and um that way you can stay up to date with uh teases teasers of who we're going to interview next. And uh, here's a hint: it's someone that I met for the very first time at Dreamforce. Oh, and um, yeah, super great! I'm really excited about this one. I'm, they're all my favorites, you know that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so give our handle a follow, and um, and then obviously subscribe on itunes so that you will automatically have every new episode when it comes out because we have no schedule we don't release episodes on any particular cadence it's no. just whatever our schedules allow keep your
1: dad on your tail. exactly well that's another episode of the campfire stories thank you again for joining us eric we we enjoyed hearing your story
0: and thanks for having me i appreciate it it's been a blast
2: <laughs> good night